0: Welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is Aliter Shujin, your host and a chief medical resident at the University of Connecticut. A quick disclaimer before we start. All opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. We're back with this week's episode of Ambulatory Series, and today we will be discussing Thyrotoxicosis and Hyperthyroidism. More specifically, our goal will be to better understand diagnostic workup of hyperthyroidism, discuss treatment options, and surveillance. Thyrotoxicosis is the term used to describe increased thyroid hormone levels, either thyroxine or T4, triodothyronine or T3, or both. Hyperthyroidism, on the other hand, is a condition in which thyroid gland produces excessive thyroid hormone primarily due to hyperactivity of the gland itself. Patients with hyperthyroidism have thyrotoxicosis by definition. Thyrotoxicosis can be diagnosed by low serum thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH measurements. Increased levels of thyroid hormone T4 or T3 suppress TSH production in the pituitary gland. Subclinical thyrotoxicosis happens in the setting of undetectable TSH levels, while T4 and T3 levels are within normal limits. Increased levels of thyroid hormone induce beta adrenergic receptors on cell surfaces, causing hyperadrenergic state, which can present as palpitations, anxiety, diaphoresis, heat intolerance, tremors, warm and moist skin, hyperreflexia, lid lag, goiter. Weight loss can be a result of a long-standing hypermetabolism. Important to note that elderly patients can present with milder and less typical symptoms described as apathetic thyrotoxicosis. They are more likely to present with fatigue and depression. The etiologies of thyrotoxicosis can be subdivided into three major categories. One, excessive thyroid hormone produced by thyroid gland itself. 2. Excessive thyroid hormone due to the release of preformed thyroid hormone, and 3. Excessive thyroid hormone due to other sources. So let's discuss each of these categories separately. First, overproduction of thyroid hormone by gland can happen in the setting of Graves' disease, toxic multinodular goiter, toxic thyroid adenoma, or plumber disease. Graves' disease is an autoimmune pathology and is caused by thyroid-stimulating antibodies. These antibodies activate TSH receptors, resulting in excessive thyroid hormone production. Some of the risk factors for Graves' disease include female sex, personal or family history of autoimmune conditions such as pernicious anemia, vitiligo, diabetes mellitus type 1, autoimmune adrenal insufficiency, systemic sclerosis myasthenia gravis, Sjogren's syndrome rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus erythematosus. Some of the pathognomonic findings of Graves' disease include diffusely enlarged thyroid gland, thyroid bruit, proptosis, periorbital edema, diplopia, blurred vision, and clubbing of the fingers and toes with associated soft tissue swelling. Pretibial myxedema, describes swelling in the tubule region, which causes pudorange appearance of the skin. This is due to fibroblast activation. Fibroblast activation and fat cell TSH receptor stimulation, which leads to tissue proliferation, are also responsible for the protosis seen in Graves' disease. Toxic multinodular goiter is the most common cause of hyperthyroidism in older patients living in iodine-deficient areas. It can also happen due to somatic mutation of the TSH receptor genes causing thyroid follicular hyperplasia, with resultant nodule formation. Physical exam usually reveals multiple thyroid nodules. Lastly, toxic thyroid adenoma or Plummer disease which happens due to somatic mutations in the TSH receptor or the GS-alpha protein gene that cause focal hyperplasia of thyroid follicular cells and the formation of toxic thyroid adenomas. On physical exam, it is common to find a single palpable nodule compared to multiple thyroid nodules of the toxic multinodular goiter. Now let's discuss what happens when thyrotoxicosis is due to release of preformed thyroid hormone, this can happen with painless, silent thyroiditis or lymphocytic thyroiditis. This is an autoimmune disorder which is a mild variant of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, also known as chronic lymphocytic thyroiditis, and it causes destruction of thyroid follicles, resulting in release of preformed thyroid hormone. Lymphocytic thyroiditis causes transient hyperthyroidism, which can be followed by hypothyroidism and eventual recovery. The hyperthyroidism these patients have is usually mild, and there is either a small thyroid enlargement or a normal size of the gland. There is usually no neck pain associated with this condition. Some of the precipitating factors for this condition are excessive iodine intake, childbirth, which can result in postpartum thyroiditis, lithium, interferon-alpha, interleukin-2, amiodarone. Important to note that amiodarone can cause thyroid dysfunction by multiple mechanisms, which are out of scope for our discussion today. Another condition that can have release of preformed thyroid hormone is subacute thyroiditis, also known as subacute non-supportive thyroiditis or Quervain thyroiditis. This is a type of thyroiditis that frequently follows a viral infection, and is oftentimes painful, and causes diffuse goiter. Some of the viral infections known to have an association with subacute thyroiditis are coxsackie, mumps, measles, and adenovirus. In this type of thyroiditis, preformed hormone is released in the setting of inflammation, and similar to lymphocytic thyroiditis, it is followed by hypothyroidism and recovery. Lastly, let's cover etiologies of thyrotoxicosis due to other sources. Gestational hyperthyroidism can develop in the first trimester of pregnancy due to the stimulatory action of the placental human chorionic anodotropin, or beta-HCG, on the thyroid gland. Interestingly, beta-HCG shares structural properties with the TSH receptor. As a result, increasing levels of beta-ACG have been correlated to the severity of hyperemesis gravidarum, such that hyperemesis gravidarum can sometimes be a presenting symptom of gestational hyperthyroidism. Now that we've discussed our differential diagnosis, let's focus on the diagnostic workup involved. A serum TSH is the first and best test to order. In hyperthyroidism, TSH levels are low or undetectable due to its suppression from high thyroid hormone levels. Next step in workup usually includes free T4. A total T4 level should only be ordered if free T4 is unavailable. If free or total T4 is normal, a total T3 level should be ordered. Free T3 level can fluctuate and is usually not a reliable test. Many laboratories will order reflux T4 if TSH comes back abnormal. A low TSH and a high free T4 or high total T3 levels confirm diagnosis of hyperthyroidism. If pathognomonic signs and symptoms of Graves' disease, such as orbitopathy, pretibial myxedema, are present, further testing is not necessary to make the diagnosis. If the clinical picture does not clearly indicate Graves' disease, measurement of serum thyrotropin receptor antibodies may be indicated. A positive screen for thyrotropin receptor antibodies confirms Graves' disease with 96-97% to sensitivity and 99% specificity. Because Graves' disease causes diffuse enlargement of thyroid, presence of nodules in the setting of negative or borderline thyrotropin receptor antibody screen should prompt further workup with a radioactive iodine uptake test and a thyroid scan. Important to keep in mind that thyrotropin receptor antibodies can be weakly positive in subacute thyroiditis. High uptake of radioactive iodine is seen in the presence of high thyroid hormone production within the gland itself. In case of Graves' disease, radioactive iodine uptake is homogenous in distribution, whereas patchy distribution would be more consistent with a toxic multinodular goiter and a focal uptake with a toxic adenoma. Important to note that thyrotoxicosis, not due to de novo production of thyroid hormone, and rather due to preformed hormone release, will present with normal radioactive iodine uptake. Let's now discuss treatment options for hyperthyroidism. Beta-adrenergic blockers such as atenolol and propranolol are used in the outpatient setting to control adrenergic symptoms like tachycardia and anxiety. These medications can be adjusted to control symptoms and even discontinued as symptoms resolve. Some of the limitations of these medications are their blood pressure effects such as dizziness and lightheadedness. Let's now move on to the antithyroid medications such as methimazole and propylthiouracil or PTU. They inhibit the synthesis of thyroid hormone and can be effective in Graves disease, multinodular goiter, and toxic thyroid adenoma. These medications can be used as a long-term therapy for hyperthyroidism or as a breach therapy before radioactive iodine ablation or thyroidectomy can be done. Three T4 and total T3 levels should be checked four weeks after therapy initiation and should be monitored every four to eight weeks thereafter. Once levels normalize, they can be monitored every three months. Remarkably, remission can be achieved in 30% of Graves' patients. Antithyroid medications are usually continued for 12 to 18 months and then tapered if TSH is normal, thyrotropin receptor antibodies are negative and the patient is free of symptoms. Important to point out that the chance of relapse is about 30 to 70%. Therefore, thyroid function should be monitored one to three months for up to a year after discontinuation of therapy. These medications should actually not be started if patient has liver enzyme levels higher than three times the upper limit of normal. Another important side effect is agranulocytosis, which is seen in 02 to 0.4% of patients. So baseline CBC is usually recommended before this medication is started. It is important to point out that there is no routine monitoring recommended unless patient develops fever and or pharyngitis suggestive of agranulocytosis. Methimazole has less hepatic injury compared to PTU and is the preferred antithyroid medication except in the first trimester of pregnancy. The starting dose is based on the initial free T4 levels. PTU can cause hepatocellular injury and liver failure, therefore it is only used in the first trimester of pregnancy or in cases where methimazole allergy is present. Pregnant patients should be switched to methimazole in their second and third trimesters of pregnancy. Radioactive iodine treatment is the most common treatment of Graves' disease in the United States and it's been proven to be safe and effective. About 90% of Graves' patients respond to therapy within three to six months and become hypothyroid. Free T4 and total T3 should be checked four to eight weeks after ablation and monitored every four to six weeks. Until hypothyroidism is established, at which point thyroid replacement therapy can be initiated. Important to note that TSH levels remain low for several weeks after free T4 and total T3 have normalized. Radioactive iodine therapy is contraindicated in pregnancy, during lactation, and in cases of suspected thyroid cancer. Another contraindication is presence of severe Graves orbitopathy, as it can worsen eye symptoms. Lastly, surgical thyroidectomy is a preferred treatment option in patients who have a very large goiter with compressive symptoms and patients who have contraindications to radioactive iodine therapy or antithyroid medications. This option is also recommended if there are concerns for nodules being cancerous, and this determination is made based on ultrasound findings, rapid growth on serial ultrasounds, and fine needle aspiration results. Now that we've discussed management of symptomatic thyrotoxicosis, let's quickly discuss what to do in case of subclinical thyrotoxicosis, in other words, if patient does not have any symptoms. Subclinical thyrotoxicosis is diagnosed with a TSH level that is low or undetectable, but T4 and T3 are within normal limits. About 60% of thyrotoxicosis cases in the United States are subclinical experts currently disagree whether subclinical hyperthyroidism should be treated due to lack of symptoms and variable long-term outcomes in these patients. Important to note that there is a risk of atrial fibrillation, heart failure, osteoporosis fractures, and death in older patients. Current guidelines recommend that therapy be initiated in patients who have TSH below 0.1 MU per liter who are symptomatic and those over age 65. Recommendation is to start with low dose methimazole. Before we wrap up for today, one important caveat. Biotin, a supplement frequently taken for hair loss, can actually interfere with thyroid labs. Usually high doses of biotin, 10 or 15 milligrams per day, can cause falsely low TSH levels, elevated T4 and total T3 levels, and a positive serum thyrotropin receptor antibody, mimicking Graves' disease. Holding high-dose biotin two to three days prior to blood draw helps eliminate this interference. So, let's summarize. The ideologies of thyrotoxicosis can be subdivided into three major categories. Number one, excessive thyroid hormone production by thyroid gland itself, such as in case of Graves' disease, toxic multinodular goiter, and toxic thyroid adenoma or Plummer's disease. Two, excessive thyroid hormone due to release of preformed thyroid hormone, such as in case of lymphocytic and subacute thyroiditis. And number three, thyroid toxicosis state in the setting of other sources, such as increased beta-HCG. A serum TSH is the first and the best test order followed by 3T4. Options for treatment include medications, radioactive ablation, and surgery. Methimazole remains preferred medication type because of less hepatotoxicity when compared to PTU, with PTU reserved for patients with allergy to methimazole or in first trimester of pregnancy. A-granulocytosis is an important side effect to keep in mind for both medications. We hope you learned something new today. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in our next episode.